Awoga, this is a dwarf cast. Do we actually have a name for this? So it's the Red Dwarf 10. Un instant reaction. An introspective? Is that what it is? What? You could say post broadcast. But it's a bit uh, dull. You could say um, slightly retrospective. Slightly, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, it's. It's a retrospective of the series as a whole. Semi retrospective. <laughs> <laughs> this will do for the intro. I think. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Ganymede and Titans non live Red Dwarf Series 10 retrospective, slightly retrospective because it's only a few weeks old, but a retrospective nonetheless. I'm Ian Symes, and joining me is Jonathan Capps. Hello. John Hoare. Hello. Tanya Jones. Hello. And Daniel Stevenson. Hiya. So, yeah, Red Dwarf 10 uh, is finished now, and um, we've put out um, Dwarf Casts already, which we recorded on the night, and it was just our initial unrefined thoughts. So, um, with the benefit of hindsight, uh, it's an opportunity now for us to talk about them in a much more sensible and measured way, <laughs> in theory. Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> So it makes uh, sense to start off with Trojan, because that was the first episode. And uh, on the night, I absolutely loved it, and I still do. I think it's a very strong episode. Um, but every time I watch it, I'm more and more annoyed by the phone plot, mm, yeah. which uh, wasn't really a problem the first time round. but once you've heard all the jokes once or twice, then there's not that much really there. And I think once you see certain other episodes in the series do subplots a bit better, like Lemons or The Beginning, it just kind of highlights that even though it's one of the better episodes, I believe, that yeah, it was quite, um, that was definitely a weak strand. Uh, the moose stuff, however, yes. was a strong strand. A strong strand. It was, yeah, I found like the, the stuff I remember being good about Trojan re- remains good to me. Um, but yeah, stuff that I, I, you know, I haven't, I haven't become more lenient with the, the the less good stuff. It's actually got a little bit worse for me. I think it's just a shame that we don't see more of Howard. Yeah. Yes. In definitely. retrospect, <laughs> yeah, he doesn't turn up until halfway through the second part. You yeah. could remove the whole phone stuff and replace it every single bit of it with more Howard screen time, and it would be a stronger episode. Definitely. We haven't really got your views on the record. John. Oh well, I did do a really nasty post at like two a.m. on GNT, <laughs> where I really—it's the um, um. But I mean, yeah, it's it's the phone stuff destroyed that episode for me. To be honest, um, I I just partly because I'm just sitting there and all the phone stuff really irritated me, um, because it felt uh and 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 and, and part of it's unfair on the episode in that I'm very, very sensitive to grumpy old man syndrome. Yeah. And it felt very, very much to me which is ironic considering yeah. I'm a grumpy cunt. But um But he's it, quite young. But yeah. But it kind of um it kind of it, it really did feel like Doug's bugbear entering into uh the series. Now, you know, obviously writers take stuff from real life, that's not a problem, but it felt very out of yeah. place. To it's me. the first time he does it this series and Certainly not the last time. <laughs> and and the thing that really, really annoyed me about it, and it annoys me uh, a bit more each time I see it, is 
um, the confusion seemingly in Doug's mind between a support helpline and a shopping channel. Yeah. <laughs> the shopping channel wants you to be off the phone yeah. as soon as possible. To go and yeah. buy more stuff. Yeah. Shopping channels, do, shopping channels do not work this way. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and it's actually that more than anything else that really um, bugs me in terms of the grumpy old man syndrome because it feels very misguided. Mm. That yeah. whole strand. The, the problem with with a plot like that, some one that's designed to be set up right at the start and just run through the the whole main plot, mm-hmm. is that if you don't like that small strand, even yeah. though it's a, it's a lesser part of the story, it infects and 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 by association the other stuff. You know, if you don't like it, then it, it drags the entire episode down. Yeah. When really, if it had been maybe contained a little bit more, maybe in the first half or. The second half. That's no, that's true, and 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 also because each time when that plots on, you're just looking at it and thinking, yeah, you could have more Howard here. Mm. Yeah, you could have more Howard here. Yeah. Yes, you could have more Howard here. And yeah, it's just um really really frustrating. Uh, also, um, <laughs> one of the other thing is after um, uh, watching the Weird Smoke documentary, I wish they'd been able to pull off the cargo bay yeah. stuff <laughs> because that's a great idea. The shot of of people, you know actually looking through it that, that's that's astounding I wish they could have got that to work yeah oh, the, well there's oh, this is probably the episode that we kind of saw the most evidence for how everything was cut back hmm. from the original script so this this is an episode that was meant to have started on a, an asteroid or a, yeah, a, a hostile big space planet. sequence yeah. at the very least <laughs> yeah there's a thunderstorm and they, they rescue Trojan yeah. from this planet mm. and you know drag it all back and um and so yeah, so that got reduced to it's just in the cargo bay and it, the doors open on one side, and then that was again reduced to it's being dragged along. Mm. Though again, I'm not sure a big action sequences w- would have set the right tone for the series in terms of what it was doing. To be fair, because yeah. a lot of this series is, um, you know, however successfully you think it's done, it's about bringing it back into the four characters and having mm-hmm. pretty much two sets and a corridor. And, and doing that kind of thing. No, alright, maybe that was forced on them. That seems yeah. to be the implication we were getting from Worst Mags. Um Through the series, it felt more deliberate. Yeah, <laughs> than well, maybe it. I mean, Doug, yeah, Doug's, Doug talked about nothing but that sort of bringing it back to character comedy and these four characters. But I can't escape the fact, uh, the, the feeling that if he had the choice to do really big set pieces, special yeah. effects set pieces, he totally, he totally do that. Yeah. He, you know, he he clearly wants to, you know, to make Red Dwarf, uh, you know, bigger and you know, mm-hmm. in his in his mind, better. You know, with the um, with special effects and things like that. And I wonder whether you know, after the series, after the produ- pre-production got to a certain point where he realised it is just going to be three sets. Oh well, you know we're bringing it back to yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's I know what you mean. Making yeah. the most out of a bed suit. Yeah, and I know what you mean. With Back to Earth as well. At the time, we didn't. We assumed that this is what Doug wanted to do, and this was the direction he wanted to take it. But we know now that he never wanted it to be yeah. without a studio audience. He never wanted it to be comedy drama. He never wanted it to be filmic per se. Although mm-hmm. you know he shot it in that certain way, but he would have rather done an audience sitcom, which is what we ended up with. Yeah, that's true. And so we'll see when series eleven comes along what we get there, and whether that's what Doug really wants to do. Whether... Although, honestly, after watching the documentary, my uh, whether we're going to get a series eleven at this point is anybody's guess. Yeah. Um, I get the impression that Doug has lots and lots of brilliant ideas, 
and when it comes down to actually thinking them through and thinking realistically about what can be achieved he isn't quite so good I think he, he gets his excitement kind of takes over and he doesn't mm. necessarily have he I think he needs a more calming influence on him saying yeah great this is what we can do this is your idea this is what we'll end up going with to add a few no's to his yes yeah <laughs> yeah no yeah, yeah no no, no. <laughs> But there is, there's this, I mean, you know, again, with that opening sequence, it, it does seem to be the heart of that episode should be the Howard um, plot. And it's, I don't want to put, um, I really don't know, I don't want to put words in Doug's mouth uh, at all. But it just seems to me, well... It's not a word you want to put in his mouth. No, it's my, it's my massive cock. Um, but it's kind of, that's that should be the centre of the episode. And if that's the centre of the episode... Why are you going off here and going off there? Why did you write a big action yeah. set piece at the start? Why are you doing this phone thing? Why didn't you just take the Howard thing, make that the core centre of the episode? Well, the original... I get the impression that sort of Howard turning up in the second half of this episode was one of the original... Or, like, a part of the original structure that's still there because the the episode used to be called... Was it the, the Slow Rescue? So the, Oh, yeah, I've forgotten The that. actual joke of they encounter him very early... And they take ages and ages to rescue him. Yeah, I mean, it's kind actually, of yeah. funny on paper, but yeah, when it when it does mean that this great actor, like and, you know, this you know really good character with loads of potential, isn't used enough, well, then that's see, a problem. You could have done that as a two-parter and had the rescue <laughs> at the end of the first part. I don't mean to say let's get Red Dwarf. Back to... <laughs> I wouldn't actually want that, but I'm just saying. That would be a way of doing that. There would have been a way of doing it, of not revealing who it was that they were rescuing until yeah. the end. In, these, uh, it's, uh, in the same way, confidence and paranoia flows into me squared, but it's not two, uh, two parts. Yes. Yes, actually, yeah. yeah. Well, the idea for Trojan was meant to be <coughs> something that reappeared later in another episode as well, like something was on the Trojan and was released, hence the name. Oh, yeah, there was a, a monster. Oh, God, where was this? Where did we hear this? Uh, Doug that interview. was a Dave podcast Dave as well. Podcast. Oh yeah, yeah. There was a, yeah, there was a beast on on the Trojan that was like, like the second polymorph had gotten got gets onto Red Dwarf in that episode and they don't know about it. So it's, yeah, hence the name Trojan. Did we hear anything about what the nature of the beast was, or was it just the nature of the beast? It's just the nature of the beast. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I, I I don't know. It might have been. It probably would have been. I don't know, something yeah, familiar, could have, possibly. Polymorph 3? It could have been anything. <laughs> it could have been, but... Um, I mean, when you look at like you know pe- like people and creatures we've met, they've all had... You can trace their lineage throughout yeah, the yeah, series, yeah. so... Yeah. yeah, extrapolating from that. But, yeah... Extrapolating. Might... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying a really bad thing. I'd like to have, you know... It's been long enough that well, is... this series can borrow some stuff from older series if it wants. I think it does it quite well. Throughout the series, there was a sort of thing where you could, everything, most of the plots that happened, you could draw a line from Trojan. Because Pre gets picked up from an unnamed derelict. And I assumed, when I went and seen it at the recording, that that was the Trojan. And then then you've got the Quantum Rods in um, Entangled that caused the coincidences. Rejuvenation shower. And the rejuvenation shower. And then episodes five and six were written long after that, and so the original episodes five and six could well have had... Well, it would have had the the beast from Trojan and presumably something else as well, so... 
Possibly well, Kachansky. Yeah, yeah, we don't. Maybe Kachansky was hiding on uh, yeah. floor two A. She's a, she, <laughs> she's the Greeks. <laughs> or, or floor sixty nine. <laughs> ah, floor. That's all sexy's talking about. <laughs> so, having um, touched upon pre, which a lot of us around here <laughs> would like to do. Uh, why not move on to fathers and sons and like Trojan when we say Trojan could have done with more of Howard uh, there was an element (laughs) of this episode (laughs) is this the big argument (laughs) there is an element of this episode which is not as strong regardless of whether or not it's offensive (laughs) which is not something that I should even be saying when we're talking about Red Dwarf but regardless of that it's not as funny or interesting as the two big sci-fi plots and so you've got three plots competing for half an hour's worth of running time uh, yeah there should never have been three regardless of what those three are I think that's a potentially sensible point yeah <laughs> a potentially <laughs> sensible that's, that's point the, you, that's <laughs> the most you're going to get I mean, because to me it was my favourite plot <laughs> the, the pandemic stuff but um I mean, we've kind of gone over that a million and one times. The only thing I would say about why I think it's one of my favourite exceptions um, is A, the racism. Um, <laughs> because that's always quite good. But B, I really <laughs> liked that um, uh, uh, it was something that Red Dwarf um, had never, ever done before. Obviously the racism. Uh but also just that whole, I mean, even forgetting a bit, the whole idea about the kind of meta level of the Chinese whispers thing really appealed to me a great so I deal. I didn't get that at all from the episode. I only, that was only reading um, Ellard's tweets about it afterwards. The fact that asking a stereotype whether something's racist is... Uh, well, I wasn't even, yeah, I mean, it was part of that. And I did, I did, um, I, I think about not even just that element, but more just the idea of, of a kind of accidental, maybe meta's wrong word, an accidental game of Chinese whispers. Just that idea really oh, yeah. appeals to me. Um, oh, on yeah, that level, yeah. even forgetting about all the other stuff, girl, mm. just 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 that whole thing—it it seemed quite an original idea that I've not seen done. Um, it wasn't terrible. Anywhere. I didn't I didn't mind it so much leading up to that that final two scenes. Isn't I'll, it, that I'll be honest. I, I when I read us, it was this weird thing. I actually posted this on GNT because I was kind of paranoid about it. That um, when I uh, watched that scene, and I did find it absolutely hilarious during the recording. Uh, and I found it less so during watching it, um, oddly. But um, watching it on tape. But but the thing, it it did. I admit, my brain was telling me I don't find this offensive at all. I'm finding this extremely funny. But I could not quite articulate in my head exactly why I wasn't finding it offensive. Mm. And I did sit there. I thought about it for about a day. Yeah. And then I realised what it was. I went to post it and I saw that Ellard posted the exact same thing and it looked like I'd gone and grabbed his tweet and said, ah, yes, blah, blah, blah. this is why I didn't find it offensive. And it genuinely wasn't. And I was so paranoid <laughs> about that, which is a bit stupid. Um, but yeah, um, but yeah, no, just just the whole idea of that plot, uh, that 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 um, Chinese whisper plot, I really liked the idea of because it's not something I've seen anywhere. So, oh yeah, I don't have a problem with the concept of they're asking a question about Chinese whispers and that turns into a game of mm-hmm. Chinese whispers. I think that's fine. I think my there's two things that I don't like about this episode, and they're both played by Kerry Shale. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good point because Andrew says that the the the, the Taiwan Tony stuff 
he read it differently on the page yes. when he was editing yeah. than, yes. um, than what so and the it, performance yeah. he was the direction ke- of that he was keen to point out that his interpretation wasn't necessarily definitive but, yeah. but his interpretation originally was it was just a normal Taiwanese-ish voice rather than oh hang on hang on yeah, played maybe <laughs> See, by a Taiwanese to, actor <laughs> to me that does take away the essential joke of that scene mm. um, that, that whether you uh, like it or agree with it or not there is a legitimate um uh, I don't quite want to say satirical. I wouldn't quite go that far, but there's Satires. a legitimate um, joke there in the terms of a machine talking about racism being racist. Now, whether that's something you like or thinks appropriate or even you think was well done is is one thing. But there is a legitimate concept there. Also- so when I heard Andrew say, "Oh, well, that wasn't the original idea," all my brain's thinking is all right, fine, but what the hell was the idea? <laughs> because there isn't an idea there, and you think, haven't got it over the top. Isn't the original idea that JMC are so rubbish that they think that people would really like to be served um, Chinese food by a raging stereotype? <laughs> I quite would, to be fair. I'd really enjoy that. Um, I mean, that's, that's the impression I got from it. But to be honest, it's di- really difficult... Because uh, I think I'm, I probably brought it up that it's really difficult if you haven't built the universe around those things to actually get that across. Yeah, and it's all, a new element. Isn't it's it? a new yeah. element, and all you've got is someone going, "Oh, I don't know," and it's very difficult. To well, let's put my <laughs> spin on it and see if that works. It's a strange thing because all the way through uh, when I did the review and we've been all the time I've been talking about it online, I've referred to it is it's so strange to have a Chinese character portrayed by a non-Chinese actor doing a Chinese voice but it's not a Chinese character it's a vending machine <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just it, weird it's not even a Chinese vending machine it's Taiwanese mm-hmm. uh, Taiwan is a bit Chinesey. <laughs> yeah. That's right. which is one of my favourite lines of the episode that's that right. I really, uh, really enjoy that oh, no. I don't well, think anything in the episode can compete with, um, in terms of goodness with um, the double lister scene well, yeah, but you know my complaint about that, don't you? Yeah, uh, no. I really, really get frustrated by that scene because um, when I was watching it recorded, um, my the reason I was laughing so hard is the idea of um, Lister knowing himself that well uh. that he would um, uh, uh, that he would predict every step of the way what he'd do, and I could I thought I came out of that recording, and regardless of how I felt about other elements. That scene, I just thought, oh, God, that's the best Red Dwarf I've seen in ages. Then someone points out that actually it was um, because he used pre Mm. to predict it. And what it did uh, for me is it turned it into a scene about character into just a scene about plot. That's interesting. Well, we don't know to what extent pre helped him. She might not have known exactly... (laughs) <laughs> Excuse me. Well, actually, no, because it is set up. It's set up. She, now, uh, the, what people have argued against me um, against this, which I do take the point, is all right. Uh, I know what you're saying, but how would he know in that kind of detail yeah. every step of the way? And isn't that a bit unrealistic? And I do totally get that it would be unrealistic, but because it locked in very early into a character thing, my mind allowed it to get to the point that it did. Mm. You couldn't immediately set off with that. But seeing as it was step by step, this, then that, then that, 
than that. My mind was willing to go along with it. I do take the point that actually, yeah, all right, it would be unrealistic to do it quite that, <laughs> yeah, to that extent. But that's why I get really kind of frustrated. And maybe I'm overreacting, but it just it kind of wrecks that scene for me. And I'm really annoyed that a scene that I loved when I didn't understand what was going on. <laughs> when you saw that. <laughs> When you find out what's actually going on, it's it's not improved at all. Uh, I, and that frustrates me. I like the fact that Pre was involved because um, combining the Pre and the Lister being his own dad stuff is the most successful intertwining of Red Dwarf plots that we've had for some time and you know, there wasn't that much of it in the in the earlier mm-hmm. series, so mm-hmm. it's a it was a whole new thing and the fact that Pre helped Lister out, um, by allowing him to predict what he how he'd react and mm-hmm. therefore set Lister onto a, a certain way of feeling of I've got to book my ideas up and I've got to do this I've got to do that which then led to Lister having the confidence in his own ability to mm-hmm. then defeat Pre and so she set off or helped to set off the chain of events that would eventually lead to her demise. That's true. And all this, I think the more you think about it, the more satisfying it becomes, and that's. That's the ultimate aim of Red Dwarf, really. So you're I saying guess, I haven't thought about the episode properly. <laughs> well, I, mean, I guess because, I mean, Ian, Ian, you've just made an argument for it being a really strong plot element, but John's problem is more that, not that it was a poor plot element, yeah. it's just it became more about plot than character. Than character. Yeah. But, I mean, and I it's, can understand it's, that. But. It is one of those irritating things, like another actual, another element of the plot where, um, and I remember telling you this as we came out, the section where... Um, uh, 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 List says, um, "I've got a job for you," and Pre goes, "I know." And what I heard it as is, "I've got a joke for you." Cut to Pre looking really annoyed, going, "I know." Like that. <laughs> and I think that's a better moment where um, where he's got some revolting joke. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's and this has happened with that. It happened to me once in the IT crowd, and I said, "I'm going to do one day make this article of jokes that I think I've got from a sitcom that actually I've made up in my head." But, but might better. be better than this. <laughs> <laughs> what I liked about this episode, particularly, is that it towards the end, the big sort of list of action sequence when he sucks out into into space. This was a really nice example of them just trying to expand the scope a little bit and just just uh, even though it's you know very very simple simple piece of um, you know visual effects, just getting Lister off the ship. It just kind of those little moments you just kind of need them to be there to sort of take your mind away from the fact that you are especially in this episode you're on three sets Mm. and um, there's not even a guest set so it's two and a half sets and so you know um, chucking him out into space even though it's a little bit ropey and then entering the ship back in in the ram scoop it just all of a sudden feels like the setting's huge again when you know in reality it isn't I quite enjoyed that I find it amazing what a corridor can do in Red Dwarf Ever since the early days, even if you're looking at the first episode and just like a a very small corridor, it's amazing the depth and scope it gives. I I still think that Red Dwarf used to do this better, though. Um, I I wonder if it's just because the old corridors were maybe a little bit more nondescript. Like like series one and two, there is various little subtle changes that they make to that one corridor. And it really just doesn't... And Maybe it's because the first time I saw it, I was my mind was young and impressionable, but... Do you think it always felt bigger? Do you think it's to do with the lighting that they haven't got the expertise of people that have been 
like doing that sort of thing for a long time because it's I mean, quite yeah so uh, yeah. it was wanting on the effects side I don't know about anything else and I think it's a different skill set now because because mm. uh, of them shooting on red and they've got yeah. a, cu- uh, a couple of DOPs who um, are, are not as far as I'm aware are more um, single camera location-y mm-hmm. um, or single camera studio um, DOPs rather than mm. big audience sitcom DOPs so it is a different skill set I think also it's also to do with 12 years uh, difference of discipline in terms of shooting as well yeah well, I mean, different traditions that have changed and obviously are no longer or become obsolete or seemed outdated or whatnot. And, you know, it's more like a, a production thing of something no longer needing to be done or something that no longer is done or something that can't be done anymore due to, you know, health and safety bollocks or whatever. <laughs> you know, might have been allowed back in 1996, but no longer allowed or no or, longer feasible or whatever. Or maybe they just, yeah, maybe you haven't got maybe the cameras haven't been in use long enough to be able to have people with that much experience knowing the because like, it does I did seem quite overlit at times I thought see I found the opposite overlit, I find yeah. it too dark mm. I find a lot of the show too dark and I don't think that helps comedy generally to have it that dark and I I, I I felt that quite distinctly. And I remember looking on the monitors during the mm. recording and thinking, that looks too dark. I hope the grade's slightly different. And it isn't. It mm. looks pretty much as it did on the monitors. Well, um, I think in terms of the direction, we could have definitely done with a few more close-ups uh, throughout the series. A lot of it took place in sort of big two-shots or, um, or sort of mid-shots, not even medium close-ups. I think the cam- like the, the, your default <clears throat> camera plan for any one scene... I think there was only ever one camera doing close-ups at a time out of the four as well, mm. and and that was usually I think because the show was a camera plan briefly for one of the episodes in the documentary. From what I remember, you've got two doing mid mid shots for either side, one doing a big wide shot, and then Ed Moore's camera just doing the odd close-up on one side of the set. So yeah, there's, there's not like. It is a weird. It's a weird little setup, really, isn't it? Yeah. And any one take only has two cameras. And in in theory, um, shooting in four K, you should be able to go in and reframe. Mm. But then you get a different depth of field. Yeah, you're always going to notice. Yeah, if you zoom it. in, regardless of of how it's looked. If it's it's on the not a great habit to get into. Is the impression I get. No, make your decisions before you yeah. shoot in general. <laughs> uh, the, yeah, they did it more on Back to Earth because they didn't have time to shoot yeah, anything. Yeah. But when you're having your own, when when you're sorting out your camera plans properly, because yeah. you have to, because there's an audience there. Then well, yeah, you'd hope there's less of an excuse. One thing that does really annoy me at the, at the episode is that that um, final climax is. It's I cool. find slightly embarrassing <laughs> to tell you the truth. I don't. When I think back to some of the um, great action sequences Red Wolf's done, mm. and then you've got the cast pressed up against the um, uh, yeah. well, the forklift truck. Let's face it, and um, and I think a pad with the um, thing, and I just looks at it and I think I'm not buying this one little. Bit. Uh, no, and I don't think anyone did. No, and then the, the comment, the documentary, pretty much admits. Yeah. <laughs> But I just looked at it, and it's kind of annoying because um, it does a relatively good um, stab at um, bringing the three plot lines together. I mean, mm. the three, not the two, the three plot lines, which is quite mm. clever. But 
you've got the cast yelling out <laughs> their lines and then the thing and it's just I think it's a just a case because uh, they couldn't rehearse this was the main problem with it is it wasn't rehearsed in advance because Craig Charles was off ill yeah and so they didn't quite know how much time it would take Lister to get through that speech and so they didn't know what action was required to cover it mm-hmm. and so in the end they're just holding off these two forklift trucks for too long was there any reshoots on that scene in a pickup week? I don't think so. Cause I think they're bigger fish to fry because at least that had been filmed. Yeah. Unlike the climaxes for episodes four, five, and six. <laughs> <laughs> it's difficult to tell, but yeah, it looks exactly it looks exactly as it was on the night as they played it in on the night. And you'd imagine if they reshot it, you, it would have been done a little bit better. You could have. I mean, I wish there'd been at least some kind of cutaways or something done to pop it. And as I say, I'm not convinced well, by the cast's um, performances at all now. The one that I do like is the laughing gas stuff. I think yeah. that's pretty good. Yeah. But the rest of um uh, and the laughing at the the um the panel, knocker mm. and all that, and it's, uh, that I really like that. But um, the rest of it, I'm just I'm yeah. Just... I think well, I think the only problem is. I like the dialogue of Lister's speech, and it all mm-hmm. makes perfect sense, and it's quite clever. Uh, it's just, it's just the fact that it's it's delivered in stalling for time because they're supposed to be dead by now, by all rights. Yeah, but, you know, yeah. it's just yeah. that. It thing. reminds me a bit of like a hasty ending to a Doctor Who episode. <laughs> where, where what, what shot on in yeah in the studio where you're literally yeah. just vision mixing between the things and you've just got the doctor like talking as quickly as, po- as humanly possible just wrapping everything up I <laughs> and that's the end and there's no yeah you know just before the electrics get shut off at 10 p.m. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I know what you mean um, but it's kind of frustrating because I, I think it, it wrecks a, a pretty clever bit of writing mm. and the weird thing is is that. Uh, if you ignore the Chinese whispers plot, so you've got you've got two plots there, which is Lister being his own dad and the pre-plot, and neither of those feel like the telephone plot from Trojan Light. They're they're two legitimate plots. Mm-hmm. Almost they do they tie together really really well, but it almost feels like they deserve their own episode on their own. But the fact that they're both in the same episode together, they work together really well. It does remind me of of how you know you would have like these big, big idea-rich episodes, you know, in the olden days, you know, like almost like there's there's too many ideas in the episode, but it's not quite a problem because you've pretty much got everything out, you know, out of those ideas. I remember um, reading a review of DNA, and someone was, and I don't agree with them, but I think it's interesting. Someone was adamant that it should have been a two-parter because the um, uh, they didn't think the um, the the they they liked the idea of the DNA machine so much. Yeah. That they think they could have done so much power, more right? with that, and I disagree. I yeah. think it's absolutely perfect. You could get but, gags out, of but it. it's interesting that yeah, an idea actually that some programs will base a series on, yeah. <laughs> or on, on Red Dwarf will do in one. Exactly. And yeah, it, it's almost you're right with with Father and Sons. It's almost like yeah, an episode that you could have done too. I think DNA and Fathers and Sons is quite a good comparison thinking about it because in DNA. There's a plot device which is introduced, which is the DNA machine, and that leads on to it affects one of the main characters in such a way that the rest of the episode is then character-based jokes mm-hmm. about Crichton, and that's the way that Fathers and Sons might have gone if your interpretation mm-hmm. was correct. Oh, well, if either interpretation is correct, yeah, uh, because the plot device that they discover is pre, and she sets Lister off on this course of events, and mm-hmm. the, and there's then character gags. The difference is. That um, Fathers and Sons returns to pre in a much more substantial way than DNA returns to the DNA machine. 
Yeah. They don't even wrap up um, Crichton being turned back into a mechanoid. No, it can't be honest. Yeah. <laughs> Which is actually, the more you look at that, the fucking weirder that is. <laughs> really uh, I remember watching it and thinking he was going to be human the next week. Um, yeah. doesn't, it doesn't Robert say something similar? So yeah. he, and then, you know, he's the back in it. Then it's Rob and Doug going, yeah, no, yeah, let's fuck him up this time. <laughs> he goes in on the Make him think he's going to be. Goes in on the following Thursday and he sees his call sheet. A makeup session, four hours, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, wouldn't it have been great if Priya just been Norman Lovett with a moustache? No. <laughs> with a moustache? Yeah, evil, like the evil moustache like, you get in like, mirror episodes. And they could have like stretched his head and so goatee. it looks a bit like an egg <laughs> to, to, to show that he's more clever than, and more intelligent than normal Holly. Um, I have to say, I think my favourite thing about that entire um, episode is um, Rebecca... Blackstone's yeah. performance. Mm-hmm. She's really good. Uh, yeah. She got married last weekend. So um, to me, yeah. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, sorry, dear. Sorry, I mean, many to tell you about this. <laughs> well, it was a bit of a shock. Yeah. I agree. She was like faultless performance. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you know, the, the the stuff that she did on the night as well was just. She like, right, yeah. did, Well, she said in our uh, in the interview, didn't she, that the, there was no cue cards. No, she, she, she just has these skills for line attention because she's done so much theatre stuff at yeah. Garden. Well, I'll come. Actually, no, I will, I will come back to it later. But the one thing I also know is it's it, the guest stars. This series have been some of my favourite things yeah. of the entire series. The casting's been brilliant, really. I mean, especially the Rimmer centric casting. Yeah. Three yes. or four different. Yeah, um, really, really good. Um, apart from Kerry Shell, who was actually are good, we... but. Not in this. But not in this. Well, you see, the one thing I'd bring up about the Medibot Medibot. which um, I I don't particularly enjoy the performance, shall we say, (laughs) but in terms of the idea behind it, isn't the idea that um, it's JMC thinking a wacky doctor will relax its patients? Yeah. And from that point of view, I quite like the idea. I don't necessarily enjoy the scene that follows, but I... (laughs) The actual basis behind yeah. why he's doing it, it, I don't necessarily have a problem. It, with it jars because this is not something we've ever had the, we've ever been aware of before. Well, I know that continuity is a. That's the issue, subject, isn't it, with um, the vending machines as well? Yeah. If we want JMC being a, being complete idiots and do it, what what he's doing there is hitchhikers basically, mm. isn't he? And <laughs> if, if you're going to do that, and there's nothing particularly wrong with it, because it t- it ties into the usual stuff about corporations, and it's yeah. still pretty relevant today, um, you should have made more of it. Uh, it I never got more. the impression previously that JMC were particularly incompetent. Well, the only thing I'd point they're... out at this point is Body Snatcher, and my favourite scene in it with Medibot uh, and Medibot. the wig... Delivering oh, yeah, the wig yeah. and all that. No, all right. I'm using an unbroadcast show to make my point. <laughs> yeah. But that was built. That was presumably that scene was written, or the majority of the scene was written at the time. Mm. It's so it's something that's ticking over. It's interesting actually because the the main body of like the the Medibot machine, which is kind of next to the the chair that they sit mm-hmm. on, it's very similar to that that drawing of the oh well of the medical machine that was incompetence and paranoia as well. I wonder if that. The idea expanded from, oh, that Medibot was really good in Body Snatcher. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, I'll put it in the new <laughs> well, series. You, you get, and then it just grew. You get more hints of JMC being evil bastards in the books. Yeah. Oh, shit bastards rather than shit evil bastards. bastards. Yeah. 
But then it's shit in that as well, isn't it? That the idea is not that JMC are evil in putting Betty Book there. They think they're being helpful. Yeah. <laughs> so they are shit bastards. Yeah, they're yeah. being shit bastards. Yeah, shit bastards, not evil bastards. Yeah, but sorry, they've absolutely. never been particularly shit or bastardy or evil. Well, Holly's not that great. Yeah, but Holly was perfectly Holly was fine before he spent three million years on uh, his own. True, with, yeah, his, true. with his diodes being popping. Uh, Queen. That was the back of computer. That was it. That was it. Yeah, sorry, no. You're Fucking right, sorry. hell. Jam was just completely missed the point of Queen. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. It's terrible. That's terrible. That's terrible. Sign. Sorry. I, yeah. no, that's, that's absolutely appalling. I'm sorry. This I've got the last one for that. But I've always got the impression that JMC aren't very good. Mm. Maybe not to, you know, the extent that they're not very good in Medibot, but mm. they've. The show's never been particularly respectful or. But then we've got this JMC on board computer that. That we're led to believe kind of controls their lives to quite an extent at the moment, and that thing's kind of presented as fairly faultless and almost sensible because you know it gives it gives Howard his you know his pips for for the events that happened and uh, and all that. That's all sort of pretty standard you know, standard stuff. There's nothing wacky about the JMC on board. Well, the JMC on board computer thing is weird. It is very weird. It's, you can see why. I it's there. don't really have a problem with the JMC on board computer. Um, I see the GMC on board computer as sort of like the sort of the operating system of every ship they've ever built. So they put the operating system on every single ship, and then like things like Holly and things like that are sort of plugins and software that you add onto the system that can either override yeah. or work I, with the system. I would say that's how I've been understanding it. The GMC on board computer is DOS, and Holly was Windows <laughs> that ran on top as a nice user interface. I'm quite yeah. impressed by that interpretation. <laughs> <laughs> I, think that, I think that works brilliantly, to be fair. That's how I understand it. Is yeah. GMC, Holly's gone, so they've reverted back to their kind of their base system, that's which is the brilliant. thing that it that's just runs purely on a you know on a sort of bureaucratic level. Yeah, yeah. that's actually really good. And that does sort of <laughs> the, if there are questions <laughs> remaining about. Whether uh, I think, especially in Dear Dave, um, which we'll get onto in, in more terrible, in terrible about detail. Two hours. <laughs> but, um, the way that the computer acts there, and it's like um, Rimmer's making requests to JMC, and they've got budgets that they have to deal with, and toilet roll something. Yeah, like I that. mean the system doesn't know any different. It, it, the yeah, system doesn't they understand need to game that the, the ship is three million years in deep space. The system understands that it's got this much money, this much uh, resources, this much supplies, and yeah, it's it's like it's working on purely, you know, it's working just crunching numbers basically. And Holly could override that. But now that they don't have Holly to override it, they've got to. I think that works really Holly well. Holly men have yeah, a little absolutely. understanding. Yeah. We we really could have done with just a scene touching on the main points of <laughs> <Yeah>. that interpretation. <laughs> I think that would have helped. I think there's, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of stuff this series that, that there's been some really good fan stuff kind of spinning, spinning, yeah, spinning off from it. My, one of my favourites is. We're, we're really. This is going to be long if I jump back an episode, but let's just go back to Trojan yeah. briefly. But Sim. Yes. Crawford, why not? Why not go back <laughs> yeah. forward? But Sim Crawford. Um, a few people sort of had a theory about her because if we're to assume they were pulled through time, mm-hmm. so from three million years in the past, right there we've got the first generation of Sims that at the point where the rebellion's starting, mm-hmm. and that's just a really really nice bit of continuity if you believe it that wasn't described in the episode but was it yeah, fits because, quite nicely because she her line when she's going a bit potty is no longer will simulants be subservient to humans yeah. and yeah 
So simulants were originally like androids there to serve, but simulants went potty. Yeah. There, there is this kind of odd thing where you sit there and slag off Series 8 for um, spelling things out too much, and then you sit here slagging off Red Dwarf 10 for maybe not spelling things out as much, and I kind of agree with well, both. Yeah, yeah. It's annoying. Some elements of it aren't... This, this thing of fan theories afterwards and figuring out extra bits are just bonuses most mm. of the time. Yeah. It doesn't affect the episode in any way, whether it's there or not. There's other things where you'd like some clarification. Yeah. Um, but it's I don't not, think it's mm. ever a huge problem. I don't know. I think sometimes fan theories are, especially the ones that seem really, really plausible to the point where you can basically accept them as canon in your mind, I think can sometimes help smooth over some of the some of the, the bumps in an episode that you've got something to fall back on and say well, that was a bit weird when I first saw it but there's this theory it's pretty strong I'm, I'm, you know, I quite like that it makes me feel and like I, I always I, wonder I, with everything not just Red Dwarf if <laughs> when the creators or the writers read those fan theories they think oh fucking hell I wish I'd have thought of that <laughs> see I wonder oh, whether I wonder maybe I'm giving too much credit but I, I kind of wonder whether that's what Doug had in mind with the sim thing during that because it is in the speech yeah. Yeah, the reference and I, I think yeah. I reckon he was hinting at that whether I might be wrong let's think it's only um, hinted at that they are pulled through time um, because Crichton mentions space time being compacted rather than just space so, yeah, we we don't know for sure that yeah. they're not just from yeah. down the and road. And also, the, there is also the the added um, the added thing that if they were on the same time stream, and that you know Howard's ship was three million years in the like, what exactly happened there? He's talking about like his crew was just killed the other day. So yeah. what, what the fuck were so, that yeah. crew? It's got to be how, pulled through time. Yeah, and here's an interesting thing, Howard does not necessarily need to be a hologram. If he's come from three million years in the past and he's been pulled through time, then he himself could have cowered under the... You know, it wouldn't yeah. have to be a hologram. Because the impression I got is that he was the ship's hologram. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he said. Uh, because he said he was. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so when uh, Crawford wiped out the rest of the crew, um, he could have he could have just been there as himself. But, That's true. <laughs> but... Then it would have been slightly weirder if um, I don't know. It, it's weirder for a human being to get shot than a hologram to get shot because there'd have had to be a lot of blood coming out and yeah. And Do you think I might remember the procedures and what? Also, the the whole thing is about the similarities between yeah, Arnold yeah. and Howard, and it's just another nice. It's just nice seeing. But, it, but it is interesting, isn't it? Would they have done it if he'd been human? Mm. No, it, yeah, because throwaway hologram deaths is. Um, is something the show's done before. Katarina, it's almost exactly the same thing. Rimmer being heartless about another hologram. It does kind of make sense, but... Well, it's the it throw would away, be weird. Throw away human deaths in Red Dwarf 10 would be weird, wouldn't it? But we'll come to <laughs> <laughs> um, Because having started on Trojan, then Fathers and Sons, and gone back to Trojan, it seems pertinent to now go to Lemons. Yeah. Uh, Lemons contains my favourite line of the whole series, which is... We are in search of lemons in general. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Lemons is pretty much the only episode I can talk about and have not very many reservations at all. I love it. I really like it. And it gets better with each viewing with me as well. I really, really like that episode. Uh, Which is rare, you'll hear. Yeah. (laughs) Kind of... I quite like it. Kind of, you know... Yeah. I think it is my favourite episode. I'm torn between that and the beginning, but I, I think Lemons wins. Because um, 
I just think there's so much to like about it. Um, it's one story. It's the first episode of the yeah. series where there's one story from start to finish and mm-hmm. everything's relevant. Yeah. Um, the opening scene um, is... It's one of those things where every episode felt the need to start with a scene that didn't have much to do with the main plot, apart mm-hmm. from the beginning, which we'll get on to. Um, and that's the case here, but it's A, it's very quick, the meat scene, and it does get called back to in a really satisfying way <laughs> later. <laughs> also, really that opening I think it's my favourite callback yeah. in the whole and series. And that opening scene has the cat saying, um, uh, what is it, uh, practice rectum. <laughs> which is probably my favourite line of the yeah, episode um, I think it's the episode that's closest to achieving what Doug intended it to achieve in the first place um, yeah and I don't really have much to criticise about it I really enjoyed it on broadcast um, and it just seemed really nicely plotted mm-hmm. nicely performed there's really great, much to complain um, about Great guest stars as well. Um, yeah. uh, every single time I forget her name. Indira Joshi. Yes. <laughs> she's really good. She's really good and she's excellent in the scene with the um, uh, the Ten Commandments. Yeah. Which is more than a rough say for James Baxter, I think. <laughs> oh, you're wrong. He's great. He's a bit weird. I, I like him, but... I, I like him best in the documentary where <laughs> the first thing he says in Weird Smoke is, I was shitting myself. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, it's kind of just going back to the plot thing. It's really strange because there's almost nothing I like better than the satisfying resolution of two sitcom plots meshing together in a way that you didn't expect them to mesh together. Um, so it's kind of odd that I dislike how a lot of it's done in Red Dwarf, and I think part of it's just I don't think it's done very well. But I don't know whether there's something inherent about that show mm. that seems to suit a single needs. plot better. Is it just what we're used to? Is it maybe I don't know what it is, yeah. but there's it's. Just the fact it's one plot is so satisfying, and, and well, I think it might come down to the, the fact of the ideas that are in any one episode of Red Dwarf are usually so big that they, you, you know, we say from a number of episodes that idea could have expanded uh, spanned over a series, yeah. but because these big episodes have been crammed into one episode, and that's one of its strengths. If you then add something else, then that yeah, starts yeah, tipping yeah. it over, maybe. I think, actually, I yeah. think you're on something there. And we there, need yeah. the focus on that, on that one right. yeah. concept. It's yeah, the fact that, right. yeah, this plot is free from distractions and detractions. Yeah, you can, yeah. And, and also, when, you have, when you're talking about A plot plots and B plots and how they weave together and how they pay off, you're, you're starting to deconstruct it as a sitcom episode rather than as a Red Dwarf episode. True. And, yeah, it's a bit like a football fan... Uh, having a conversation with another football fan about the finances of the football club. <laughs> <laughs> but we've done nothing but that on June. Yeah, Steve. well, no, that's, that's true. But, it, it, like, but, but on initial broadcast, you yeah. kind of want to be just lost that's the in... thing. When we go, and we have gone, and will continue to go into the very minutiae on yeah. G&T, that's because we've been watching these episodes for 25 yeah. years yeah. <laughs> but with, you've still with got a, that initial with a brand new episode you don't want to be getting to that point for a long time because you can only it's only fun to start deconstructing and looking at the tiny bits after you've got yeah. you've, you've yeah, rung all yeah, the true. just uh, the joy the non-conscious joy out of the exactly the, the way I want to be watching new episodes of Red Dwarf is as close to how I used to watch new episodes and 
shows shit wasn't thinking about how the various plot strands were tied together. Yeah. And, it, it, you know, obviously it becomes more and more difficult, but I don't know, the more... I think it might be the way that possibly, especially like the, the phone subplot... <laughs> oh, God, I'm talking about Trojan. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, the series keeps calling back to yeah. Trojan, so it's only fair that the dwarf cast um, But, yeah, the way, the way it, it's almost mechanic, like, it's almost oh. mechanically inserted in there yeah. and a little bit too clinically. I, I oh yeah, I mean, I wonder because I, I, I am still capable of watching series one to six and uh, you know, any episode at random yeah. and really enjoying it and not giving a fuck if there's anything problematic or yeah. you know something a bit well I don't think well, I think that's fun. There's, I don't think there's anything that's really really clunky in, in any of them they're, they're just if you really sit down and concentrate you could probably say okay well that's real there. No, I was talking about the art school. Have you done my leg yet? <laughs> yeah, was, things like that. And this is what <coughs> what I was wanting out of Red Dwarf 10. I didn't get it. What I got was, well, I can see what they're doing. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, it's interesting, because I, I wonder whether Red Dwarf 10 made me a little bit more critical of the old series. I have to watch more of it to be sure. Mm. We watched Trojan, uh, no, Parallel Universe the other day. And... Um, for the first time ever, Parallel Universe annoyed me. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, just... I, I, I don't know what it... Like, my brain is kind of in this mode of... being hypercritical with Red Dwarf. Maybe mm-hmm. that's just it, but... I, I've got problems with Parallel Universe. Um, not least because Arlene Rimmer is a rapist. <laughs> and Arnold Rimmer isn't, or I'd like to hope not. But He's a murderer, he's not a oh, rapist. Yes. <laughs> Um, but that's series two. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah. Coming back to lemons because I really think we yeah. should. Yeah, um, I, and I know we, we we briefly touched on it, but the um, the cannibalism subplot, even though I think it might have been slightly misguided, bearing in mind Ticket to Ride also had a cannibalism <laughs> subplot. Yeah. Um, I defy anyone to suspect that callback's coming. No, it's, it's completely, it absolutely, yeah. beautifully it done. Yes, yeah, because. Because we're so used to the first scene being, this is life on board ship. We're not, you know, this scene is not necessarily relevant to the overall plot. It's just, you know, like, um, you know, Lister cleaning his space bike in Crichton. Oh, fuck, that was a really shit, shit, shit <laughs> example. I was about to say, you know, that doesn't come back at any point in the episode. <laughs> it does. But if we ignore that, <laughs> um, yeah, you, you're just not expecting it. It's not like... It, 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 it's not one of these plot elements you say, oh, I'll pop that, you know, I'll pop that in my memory. I know that that's going to be coming back at some point. You're not mm. like, yeah. Not it's not It's thing. not like um, Hoagie the Rogie's gun where yeah. it's mentioned that many times <laughs> that you know that it's, it's coming back. Actually, here's a weird thing and I, I, I can't work out why this is. Um, I liked Lemons on All Flot and Broadcast but it was also one of the ones I saw uh, recorded and I was nowhere near as enthusiastic <laughs> about it during the recording. Now, I mm. suppose part of that might be that it was a hellish recording. Mm. I mean, it went yeah. on, what, how long? Well, especially since your two recordings were two and three, weren't they? Yeah, they Episode were. two lasted, it was about an hour shorter than all the other ones. Yeah. Lemons, to be fair to it, was about the same length as um, Trojan, mm-hmm. but it was, it felt so, so much worse because of all the stuff they were doing on the guest set. Yeah. 
um, and the like, you know, setting up and getting a shot, and then yeah, and th- that whole chase sequence, that whole fucking chase sequence was done in front of the audience. Was all of it done in front of the audience? I'm pretty right? sure it was. Most of it was. Oh, like very a great deal of the see, shots. You can see a bunch of it on the DVD. Yeah, that's true. And it, um, it would have been fine if it was quick, but I, I swear to Christ, that whole section took about <laughs> twenty minutes to record. Like. Run round yeah, yeah, and then right, resetting yeah. the scene for some reason. I don't know what the fuck they were resetting. And then, oh uh, well, it's shuffling people around. And there was one pickup shot as well that they had to do as well. Oh, and I, I, I saw before we saw that bit of the episode. Yeah, and also we did seem to spend an age just watching someone get thrown across the set. Yeah, uh, over and over and over yeah, again. Uncle Aaron, and, isn't he? Yeah. So it was that, and I don't know. Maybe it, maybe that's part of it, but it cuts together so much better. Yeah. Than, whereas that's not how a lot of the recordings have been. Um, I didn't really feel like that with Fathers and Sons. The recording felt kind of how I, I at least felt. Yeah. Yeah. Okay Although, now. of course, we there was a big chunk that we didn't see Fathers and Sons. True. There was. There was. Um, um, but actually, it was amazing just just going into um, watching that. And I remember specifically, uh, I'd written that episode about some um, audience at Common Ambition, that article rather. And I kind of wrote it because I knew Red Dwarf was going to be done in front of an audience. So I wanted a follow up. Um, and just seeing that set from the audience made me so ludicrously happy. But yeah, that that kind of uh, and was Lemons the one that was supposed to have a lot of location shooting that then they. I don't know about a lot. Um, it had the only bit of OB in the whole series. But yeah. um, there was something mentioned in the documentary that they originally planned to have Italy, uh, to go to Italy before they go to India. Mm-hmm. Which would make sense if the Centurions then followed them yeah. to Italy. Because <laughs> there's a bit of, there's something about the Roman guards being in, in India who's a is an anachronism. You know, I'm glad yeah, it didn't. It's a bit odd. I'm glad it didn't happen though. I don't think you needed to go to Italy. I think that would have lessened yeah, the focus would, of the episode. It would have overegged the Italian pudding a bit, and we would have got um, less of Jesus, which is our complaint about. Yes, you don't get enough Howard. Absolutely. And, you know. and actually, that's I hadn't thought that's a very good point. Maybe one of the reasons it feels so satisfying is there is a lot of um, of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Jesus uh, no. of Caesarea. Jesus of Caesarea. Uh, Jesus of Caesarea. Um, to the extent that he is the spine uh, image on the alternative cover of the DVD. The only thing, um, my only, in fact, yeah, yeah. I think literally my only criticism of um, Lemons is that um, the revelation of it being Jesus of Caesarea um, does, it's a bit of a similar situation to the pre uh, revelation in the Fathers and Sons where it kind of lessens. Um, everything that came before everything, it, it. the scene it especially lessens is the um, surgery scene which is really really good and then once you find out you're not actually holding Jesus' cock it's <laughs> just we've all been story in my life <laughs> <laughs> it's just so funny and the reason why it doesn't affect the episode for me quite as much as um, uh, the other one is that it retains its bite with the run to gates of ten commandments mm. If you hadn't got that scene, the the episode would have been so much less satisfying for me. But because you've still got, um, I know I keep repeating, but that that kind of bite, that kind of quite uh, specific criticism yeah. <laughs> of Christianity. Let's let's be honest. Um, it doesn't feel like quite as much of a cop out as perhaps it could have been. But part of me kind of wishes they hadn't done that revelation and it had actually been Jesus. You would have got rid of the end joke, mm-hmm. and the end joke's good. And I like the end joke. Maybe yeah. it's worth it for the end joke. 
But part of me wonders what it would have been like if you hadn't done that. Uh, it would it would have been a completely different episode because I mean they're definitely I mean it worked in the sense that the first time I saw that episode well you know at the recording I was completely I was completely sucked into the fact that this was this was Jesus of Nazareth and mm-hmm. uh, including the operating scene I was thinking how how the fuck is this even happening? Yeah, I know. It's how have they got to this situation? Yeah. And again, you know, we were talking about the mechanics earlier of, oh, you can feel the glears crank into place. I don't think you feel that with lemons and the operating scene. It doesn't feel like... It feels like, wow, they've engineered this completely ludicrous scene, but completely organically. Yeah. To, to a point. I mean, it is a scene that they've plonked in from the movie script. I think it works, though. Yeah. I don't think it feels like plonked in from elsewhere. Yeah. It, does, it doesn't actually feel that... Ridiculous! Ridiculous that they're in a situation where they have to operate on Jesus. Because obviously, yeah, they're, they're, yeah. they're aware that he has to live. Yeah. Otherwise, they're going to really fuck up history. And yeah, he he can't get that treatment yeah. um, where he is. But then they should have thought. Well, surely he never had this. He would have never have died oh, from this kid because we this they didn't cause point. him. Yeah. Ah, but they they once they travel back to twenty three AD, they are always a part of events. Yeah, I suppose. Oh yeah. <laughs> I suppose my um my my query would be, do we think it's better or worse than Ticker to ride? So that is the obvious comparison. It's better than Ticker to ride. I think it's better. I think Ticker is my favourite currently episode in series seven, I think. <laughs> but it has two bits that really fucking annoy me. Um which are the uh the con- the conclusion of the cliffhanger and mm. Um, and uh, Lister getting beaten up at the end. Oh yeah. Uh, and there's nothing in Lemons that really annoys the shit out of me. So therefore. Oh, I get to I get to display my theory. Uh oh. Oh. This is my fan theory, the one that uh, when I I tried to fix a plot hole. Go um, on. The rejuve shower. This has already been tweeted as well, so people who might have caught it anyway. But my theory is that the rejuvenation shower, um, like the uh, triplicator, projects its field out. Not in, so the triple uh, the uh, rejuve shower basically rejuvenated the entire universe, which is why they end up in twenty three AD. So it made the universe younger. Yeah. What about what about their position within the universe? That was luck. (laughs) (laughs) Because of the because of working with the other thing. (laughs) I like I do like that. I like the way that for anything in the entire series, you can just say, "Yeah, it was the coincidence." It was a coincidence. <laughs> Actually, it's, it would be completely justified by the fact that it is. It is a good, um, a good point with the rejuve shower. Does anyone? Because I've seen certain portions of the internet be really angry about the fact that the rejuvenation shower was used as a time travel machine. Um, I think it's the weakest bit of the episode. To be fair, I'm not entirely sure, but it's kind of. A means to an end to get to the good stuff, so I'm not that worried. Yeah, what it needs is something to send them back in time, and something that's not a permanent yeah, thing. Yeah, reliable. Yeah, yeah. And so you can't just say, "Oh, you remember that time drive we had a few years ago? I found that, and it's fine now." It it's does, better to have also, a new thing. Also, it's a bit like the Marilyn Monroe droid and the Last Day, where mm. you know if they do attempt to build something, it's inevitably a little bit. Rubbish. Yeah, yeah it's the same when you do a bit of DIY. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's a robot. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're stepping back a bit. Too, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so I think that's all we've got to say on lemons, isn't not uh, more or less. Other than um, I'm so delighted to have an episode, I can just 
really love <laughs> of this series. That makes me yeah. so happy. And uh, it's, well, I mean, um, Doug, uh, Doug was saying this is um, UK TV. In his words, we're going mad about this episode. So if this is in a good way, yeah, right. Like they loved this episode, and every, everyone, this was their favorite episode. The cast and the crew. So it's likely to be the sort of thing. An awful lot of people' least favorite episode. It was well, uh, Cy Bromley, which um, is well, he's, he's usually a little bit more forgiving of, of more recent Red Dwarf. It's, it's interesting that he particularly doesn't really like this episode. And I've um, had conversation with um, I talked to someone outside Red Dwarf fandom, which is kind of you know, <laughs> um, but his least favorite episode by far was Lemons, um, and this yeah. has just come up a few times that it's not. I know this series has been quite divisive, even amongst individual episodes, but I have noticed this. There does seem to be a particular thing where some people have just taken against this episode. And I don't think it's for religious reasons no. well, either. Um, Charles Armitage was against it because he didn't think they'd be able to sell it in Utah. Acu- <laughs> according to Doug Naylor and the... And the a fucking random reason. <laughs> I'm not I sure who, who I believe on that. <laughs> Uh, well, one final thing for me to say about lemons is um, the Craig's delivery of, yeah, have you got any lemons? That <laughs> <laughs> was a particular high point. I um, there's so many little sections that I enjoy about that. Mm. I suppose the final thing I'd say about lemons is I can still see the frame dropping in the location scene. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. um, is would you say that lemons was the one that was sort of messed about with the least in terms of the whole run? Yeah, it does seem that script to screen that it is the most kind of untouched. Yeah, and very few pickups, if any. Yeah, uh, fairly smooth which, is, as well. which would say a lot about if if all the episodes were like in the same state as Lemons, how good would the series? Have well, been? they mm. also um, they Lemons was the first one after the Christmas break. So while yeah. in theory they were all supposed to be having a break, I can imagine Doug <laughs> spending the whole of Christmas and New yeah. Year. Making sure everything was spot on, so he well, he, he had more writing. time on lemons than he did on. Actually, he was doesn't he? New episodes over the Christmas break, yeah, into like five and six. Doesn't he say in the documentary something on the lines of "You've always got to think about the next episode only"? Yeah, yeah. not. It was around the time of lemons as well. Oh, well, yeah. was, I think he was talking about fathers and sons. About yeah. make sure this is the best show possible. Yeah, guys. Is <laughs> <laughs> he had a stroke? To the next one. <laughs> the next one. <laughs> Sorry, Doug. As if he uh, listens. Can I also say, I think my favourite line in the episode might be, um, he hath risen. <laughs> <laughs> Look, uh, yeah. That's another thing. I think everyone's performances are spot on yeah. in this one, and I could not say the same for the rest of the episodes. The only, the only bit, this is now five minutes after I've made my final, <laughs> um, is the introduction of Jesus. While they did definitely improve it in the edit, yeah. List to say Jesus like that just seems a little bit like See, a sledgehammer. I know, but who, where does he does? I, I had a big thing where I said, When has Lister ever said Jesus before in that situation? And someone pointed out to me that he has. Yeah, now, he has said it once before. Where did he say it? What was it um, in? Come on, Danny. <laughs> uh, I'll have to get back to I can't remember at the sure. moment, but I, I, it was me that pointed it out to you. I'm not sure I if can it's tell you that he uses the word slags in polymorph. <laughs> <laughs> But um, in fact, I, I think it might be the scene that leads up to that. Is at times, it feels like Doug 
giving us Wikipedia pages <laughs> within his script. Like, yeah, I oh, know. did you know that there is hadn't a invented about. bags and you know? But I kind of let him off because it's interesting and kind of shows. Um, he mentions that in the um, audio commentary on the deleted scenes, the fact that. Um, He'd found out that they didn't have horseshoes, and he was amazed by that. So he wrote it into the script. Mm-hmm. So it's, he's quite open about it. Yeah. But I see. I think it's it's because it's kind of um, it does, it does come across as interesting. Kind of, hey, did, it seems like it's got a point. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, it's not just um, oh no, the budget's gone to shit. Let's write it into an episode. <laughs> you know, it's it's um, it's actually relevant. So, in a rare instance of everyone being generally positive about an episode, it uh, seems like a good point to bring. <laughs> Bite one of this uh, podcast to a close. Um, join us next time for the second half of this series. But until then, goodbye. 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 Thank you for listening to GNT Dwarfcast, and we hope sometime in the future you'll decide to listen to our Dwarfcast again. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye. <laughs>